0: Nancy Seth, thank you. I'm done. That which Nancy sang, we will read together. So you'll find in your listening sheet in your bulletin, we're going to read aloud together Job 19:23 through 27. So if you'll find that and stand with me and we'll read it aloud. This then is the text for today. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see, and not another, my heart faints within me. May God bless the reading of his word. Have you ever wondered what people might say at your funeral? What are the kinds of things you would expect them to talk about? What would your friends say? What would your pastors say when they spoke at your funeral? This week I had the privilege of attending Dale Wagner's funeral, and I'll tell you, there was a beautiful moment when Don Ryden spoke about his friend and there's no one else you'd want to to speak, Um, Don did exactly what you would expect a dear friend to say about someone at their service. You know, most of the time when I'm preparing for a funeral service, usually I I want two things to happen. I want to be able to share the gospel as we're working through that time together, But it's important in that moment that we also share stories about the life of the deceased. And so I love to listen to those stories uh, of the person who has passed on and and use those stories as sort of sermon illustrations to portray who God is and and, and to talk about the ways that God has impacted this life of this person and and reveal the character of God through their life and and reveal the story of the gospel through their life. And I, I think it works most of the time We work through it in those ways. And in some respects, this is the very thing that Job is is dealing with and Job is worried about in the initial verses of Reverse this week. Job is worried about what the people who now surround him might say at his funeral. Because as it stands at the moment, Job's body is in such decay, he's unrecognizable. And as we talked about last week in the passage just before this, everybody in his life has deserted him. His his wife is repulsed by him. The kids in the streets are laughing at him. Nobody wants anything to do with him save these three friends who've come to to speak to him. And so he's wondering, what's going to be said at my funeral? Because the only people who are talking to him right now, are these three friends who, through all of these pages, as we work through from about Job chapter 2 all the way to Job chapter 19, are these three friends who are blaming Job for some unconfessed sin that hasn't happened. This, this is what Job means up in verses 21 and 22. Job is asking his friends to go backwards. He said, can you go back to the place where you cared for me intimately and you you took care of me rather than accusing me? Remember, uh, Job's three friends, they were great at first. They they coordinated that all of them would come from out of town. They lived far off. All three of them made this journey in to see Job. And when they got there, they all sat with him for for seven days without talking. And there was this moment where, where they were... Weeping with, with Job as he wept. They were mourning with Job as he mourned. But, but then they all just opened their mouths and they started spewing speculation. And, and in these chapters before this, they they um they began to argue with Job. And they said, You and your life, Job, have just been ravaged. And and somebody whose life looks like this must have done something awful in the sight of God. Now, they knew Job before. They knew Job as a good person. They they were all good friends. They they likely all benefited from Job's wealth and and his business acumen. And and then we we get this speech from Eliphaz in, in Job 22 where he accuses Job of all kinds of speculative things. Remember, Job hasn't done any of these things. But he just starts making stuff up. He says, Job, you must be charging outrageous interest to people. And then then he continues on. He says, Job, how much food did you take from poor people? He continues on. Job, how many orphans did you step on? How many widows did you kick? There must be some secret sin that is torturing you this morning. And Job hasn't done any of it. Job's friends, they can only imagine divine retribution for some untold sin that Job has locked away somewhere. Let's look down at, at Job 19, with me. And this, this is how he, he answers those friends. Why do you persecute me as God does? This is not even your place. God above is my judge. You are not my judge. God sees my heart. God knows every sin I have ever committed. God knows where I am. You three have no idea what you're talking about. Why do you persecute me? Why do you chase after me as God does? And are you not satisfied with my flesh? You see, Job is saying, I will stand before God because God knows my heart, but I am tired of standing before you three because you three don't know what you're talking about. You have turned this sweet moment where we were sitting together into a pack of wolves feasting on a dying fawn. Why are you treating me this way? And you see, based on all of this and what we've seen so far in the book, you would expect that if Job passed away, his his three friends would would come to, to Job's funeral and they would say something like this. Job had a hard, final days. And, and he must have done really something really bad to deserve this. But he would never admit to any of us what that was. So in this funeral service, let's all take some time to guess at what kind of sins Job likely committed along the way. And they would open the mic up and say, what kind of sins do you think Job committed? Well, he was a businessman, and you know businessmen, profit over people. Let's come up all the ways that Job might have put profit before people. And and Job can't handle this picture anymore. Job is saying, you three are not speaking at my funeral. Eliphaz, you're done. Bildad, no. Zophar, stop it. The three of you are not going to be the ones who are speaking at my funeral. In fact, and then he gets to verses 23 and 24. Let's read those again. And, and this is where he's going. This is what he means in verses 23 and 24. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That with an iron stylus and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. You know, in, in my experience with funerals, um, we don't often put too much thought into what is inscribed on the headstone when we put those out. Most all are are fairly generic. We have the names, we have the dates. Something like gone but not forgotten, or something like in loving memory, always in our hearts, those kinds of things. And and they're simple phrases, and and simple is good. There's there's nothing wrong with the, the simple phrases. But this is what Job says here, this is what he means in verse 23 and 24. He's saying, when I die, I'm going to have to defend myself, and I'm going to defend it on my headstone. And I don't have to not only defend myself to God, but I'm going to have to defend myself against the community. And I'm going to have to defend myself against you three and, and all the things that you're saying about me. You see, Job, he, he, he felt like his three friends were going to talk about all his unknown theoretical sins at his funeral. You see, most of the time when we do funerals, people make up good stories and sometimes those good stories are exaggerated and they're romanticized and we romanticize these relationships in these stories that we tell. And, and so we, we generally sort of grow in that positive story. Job's, Job's were going the other direction and Job, Job saw it and it, they've gone completely the other side where, where they're just kind of going around guessing what kind of sins Job must have committed. And so Job says, I'm going to write down my story. I'm I'm going to put it in words. I'm going to put it on the page. I'm I'm going to write it in books. And I'm going to put it on my, my tombstone. Because you three don't know what you're talking about. I want this etched in stone so that even if I die of this disease, I want everybody in this town to know I am redeemable. And don't you forget it, I am redeemable by the power and mercy and grace of God. You see, this this is the perfect inscription for his headstone. I am redeemable, though nobody else thinks so, though nobody else around me, not even my wife thinks so, I know my Redeemer lives, and you put it on my headstone so that everybody can see it and know that I trust in God alone and none of you, and especially you three who keep coming up with all of this stuff. <laughs> you see, his friends, coming up with all this stuff, make-believe sins, he looks him square in the eye and he says, even still, I will be redeemed by my God above. You know, redeemed is a word that that we see. It works through Scripture all all the way through. We see it with Boaz. You remember Naomi and Ruth had had nowhere to turn. And so a relative stepped in and dutifully provided for them. That's the the sort of normal Levitical Old Testament earthly way redemption happened. It it is that you took care of your family. If a family member gets into trouble you get them out of trouble if you, if you if your family member gets into financial trouble you get them out of trouble if your family member gets in legal trouble you get them out of trouble if your family member gets in a dispute you get them out if your if their spouse dies you take them in your closest living relative took care of you and that, that's the picture of redemption in Leviticus for the for the early nation of Israel as they're they're living this out and and God gave them this is a picture for, for one this would protect them as a society when, when families were strong and families took care of one another. But but God was using this as something greater. God, God was saying there, there's a bigger story here. And the bigger story of redemption it, it, it moves above the family and it comes into the hand of God so that God assumes this word and we see God assume the word redeemed throughout the scriptures. That, that God in, in Exodus was the champion for Israel in Egypt, where it says, God was the one who redeemed them out of Egypt, picking them up out of slavery and delivering them into the promised land. That was redemption. And Job Job here is using the same word with great faith. Job says, I'm certain my God will redeem me. And his point is, I know none of you will, and everybody else has deserted me, but God will redeem me. This is a moment of faith that understands the character of God. Now, Job cannot yet picture Jesus, but Job here is longing for the work of Jesus Christ. This is exactly the kind of work that we see in Jesus in the New Testament, that Jesus is the Redeemer, that Jesus is the one that steps into our lives and pays the price so that we might be saved. And that we know that we we have a greater enslavement than that of the Israelites. That we have been kept under the, the tyranny of sin for too long. And Jesus has stepped in as our champion to set us free from the law of sin and death. This is the work of God. Though we find ourselves trapped, God steps in and restores us by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, as Job is standing in front of his friends... They're doing their best impersonation of Satan, accusing him of all kinds of heinous things. And Job confidently proclaims that he will be vindicated in the end. I am redeemable. All of this brokenness will be healed by the hand of God. Now, this is difficult for us. And it's difficult for us even as we work through Job and it's a confounding reality as we live our lives, and in fact, it doesn't phase Job, but it but it sure takes us back when when things unfold in the grand scale of time. See, Job Job still understood that that though he has been dealing with with, with the the suffering of this disease for months now, and we don't really know how long the the timeline is here, but, but it's likely months of this, Job still says, my Redeemer stands with me. And even as I stare death in the face, I will proclaim my God lives. That no matter what this world throws at me, my God lives and my God redeems. See, when most often in life, we are terrified when we don't get our way in an instant. Right? We, 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 want, we want God's redemption to come now. That as soon as I say, God, redeem, now, make, take this away immediately, that we expect God to be this sort of genie that becomes this, this poof, and, and everything is exactly like we want it to be. But life, life doesn't work that way. And, and through the pages of Scripture, redemption doesn't work that way either. Redemption is this holy process that God is intentional about, and, and we need that intentionality. God, God doesn't need it. We need that intentional, slow work of God. And, and in that, through the intentional, slow work of God, we build this holy resiliency for the kingdom of God. You see, the, the way it works in our life, the pain always lingers longer than we want it to. It doesn't matter what the pain is, whether we we cut our finger or we have cancer, we have some debilitating disease. The, The pain always lasts longer than any of us want it to last. And we ask why. But God has a way through that is best, best for his kingdom and best for his glory. See, we, we hear God redeemed Israel out of Egypt, and that, that's what we want to hear. We want to hear, yes, God did it. God brought them through. They crossed the Red Sea. There was miracle after miracle, and they were brought through. What a beautiful, holy thing to witness. May we witness it too. But then what we don't want to hear is the part of the book of Exodus that tells us it took 430 years for Israel to be redeemed out of Egypt. Why in the world did it take 430 years? You know, after a day or two, we're swinging our fists at God saying, What are you doing? But Job, he kept the faith. He said, My Redeemer lives. You know, similarly, later in Israelite history, God again redeems Israel from Babylonian captivity. And, and we like to hear that. We like to hear Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. In fact, many of us have it memorized. Many of us know it by heart. We have it in our homes. It says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declare the Lord. Plans for welfare, not for calamity. To give you a future and to give you a hope. And we hear it and we say, Yes, God, deliver us like you delivered Israel. But we haven't read Jeremiah twenty nine ten. Jeremiah 29:10. For thus says the Lord: when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. 70 years for the redemption of God to work out. And it isn't because God needs the time. God, God doesn't need that time. His, his power created the universe in an instant. He spoke and there was light. God doesn't need 70 years to pull Israel through. It's not like he needs more strength to make it 60 years or 50 years. God doesn't need the time. Israel needed the time. It was, it was for them, not for God. God. You see, God is not slow as some count slowness, but God is patient and, and he's waiting and, and wanting all to come to repentance. You see, God was intentional about that time and God was intentional for, for Israel in Egypt and God was intentional for Israel in Babylon because Israel wasn't. Israel wasn't being intentional and they needed God to step in and do that work. Or look, at, look with me at one more. Let's turn to Luke 24. Pastor Aaron referenced this earlier in, in the service. Look, look with me at uh, Luke 24, 21. This is that walk to Emmaus. A couple of Jesus' followers are, are walking, following the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And they're, they're talking about that crucifixion. And listen in to their conversation as they do. So Luke 24, 21. But we, so these, these couple of Jesus' followers... We were hoping that it was he, Jesus. We were hoping Jesus was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. See, here they're saying, they say, Jesus, he, he came into Israel with his triumphal entry. He, he rode in as the king of kings, and, and we, we, thought, we thought Jesus was going to be the one to redeem us. But then he was crucified, and it's been three days now. What went wrong? Why are we three days removed from Jesus Christ? You know, the amazing thing about this story in, in Luke chapter 24, and, and, they're asking, and they're asking this question, and, and they look up and say, it's been three days. Why, why, is it, why has it been three days? And they're, they're asking that question to Jesus Christ himself, not even recognizing him. You know, at the end of our reverse text this week, it's the last line of verse 27. Job there in that line is acknowledging that he is exhausted. he's exhausted. Saying, I'm, I'm exhausted emotionally, I'm exhausted physically, and, and I, I can't go on anymore. That's what that, that last line means there, is, is the weight of all of this is, is too much. And even still, as we sang Job's words, He's saying, even though I am exhausted, and and as it literally is translated, he says, I feel it in my kidneys. However, in faith, he knows that God is going to restore him. And he knows that God, whether it takes three days or 430 years, God is my Redeemer, and my Redeemer lives. God's going to vindicate me and make this right You see, when when you're going through difficulty, time just crawls forward, and every new painful moment seems to set the clock back. And Job is saying, in that exhaustion, God is with you. Your Redeemer lives. Jesus stands beside you as your living Lord. Even as you stare at death, Jesus has already stared at death. And overcome it. Jesus rose from the grave so that you might be saved. Don't give up. Don't don't give up on God, but run into his arms. And, And don't give up on redemption, but surrender to Jesus and live. You see, that which Job was longing for in Jesus Christ, we now have. Let us praise His holy name and grow with him forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our God, would you come, reveal yourself as a living and holy God. Lord, open our eyes to see your power on display. Let us see your handiwork in creation. Let us, let us see your work in the, the innocence of our children. Lord, open, open our minds so that, that we would know how to be obedient to you. That, that we would long to chase after the things that you chase after. Lord, that we would proclaim as Job proclaimed, I know my Redeemer lives. Even when we're exhausted, even when we're lonely. Lord, would you work through us? Send your Spirit so that we might know you and be near to you. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.